0: Good morning. It's good to see you all. Good to have visitors with us this morning. Appreciate you all coming our way. We seek to serve God as we have been shown how to do in the New Testament. That is our our aim as the, the body that meets here in Cortez. And we appreciate you coming to be here uh, at this time as we worship God on this first day of the week. This morning I want to continue in a series that we started at the beginning of the year and uh, the series is, is titled Highest and Best, and uh, there's a quote there from Psalm, uh, beg pardon, Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. The idea, the theme that's, that we're looking at this year is how we best serve God. Not just how we serve God and, and, and check the boxes, so to speak, as we, as we go through and serve God, but how do we best serve God? What is the best that we can give? What's the best of our produce? What is the, uh, the highest of our wealth? What, what do we give God? And the idea is, is giving God off the top, not giving Him what's, what's left over, but the highest, the best things that we can give God. And in this, uh, the first part of this series, what we've been looking at is our worship. And we have been making our way through Uh, what's been called the five acts of worship, that is singing and praying and taking the Lord's Supper and giving as we have prospered throughout the week, and then uh, listening, hearing God's Word. These are the things that we come together on the first day of the week to do, and so far we've looked at singing and praying. And this week what we'd like to look at is uh, the taking of the Lord's Supper. How is it that we might, in our own minds, um, take the Lord's Supper to the best of our abilities. And so this is what we will uh, be studying this morning and we're going to use from 1 Corinthians 11 if you'd like to be turning there and if you'd like to place a marker there. uh, David read from 1 Corinthians 11 this morning. We're going to use 1 Corinthians 11 verses 23 through 34 as our home base, so to speak. We're going to use what Paul says here as he's reminding the Corinthians about uh, the Lord's Supper. And I'll tell you that, that at the same time the Lord's Supper is very simple but at the same time it is very rich and it is very deep in what it symbolizes. And we're going to talk about that as we go through this morning. Well, we're going to use 1 Corinthians uh, 11 as our basis for the, the study. And in this we're going to see some things here. That, and this is how we're going to divide this up. We're going to see that Paul talks about the bread and the cup. He talks about, that. first of all, let's understand, as he he says there in verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered from you. So let's understand exactly from what authority Paul is speaking from. He's going to talk about the the bread and the cup. These things that that we partook of not too long ago. The bread and the cup. He's going to talk about that as often as you do this, you pro- proclaim the Lord's death until He, he comes again. So there's a, there's a frequency uh, that's, that's established here. And, and understanding that how often we go about taking the Lord's Supper, and it's important. He's going to talk about the idea of taking the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. So we need to look very closely at that, because that speaks to exactly what we're talking about in this series of lessons in, in our highest and best how we might best take the Lord's Supper and we're going to see that we need to take it in that worthy manner and then at the end of what he says here we're gonna, he's going to talk about the, the difference between communing with one another and the, and the partaking of the Lord's Supper and just being hungry we're going to talk about that uh, at, the, at the end of our time So let's start here with the bread and the cup. And let's read here from uh, 1 Corinthians 11. Let's read verses 23 through 25. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So here we have two things that Paul starts off with here, the bread and the cup. And we know that what he is mentioning and what Jesus says here in his very own words is the bread is the body. The bread is the body of the Lord. Last week we looked at the Passover, And I I said last week that that's going to kind of be a precursor to what we're talking about this morning. I won't go into a lot of detail on this, but this is one of the things about uh, the body, the bread, that's important to understand. In Exodus chapter 12, that's the establishment of the Passover where um, the the, uh, children of Israel are getting ready to come out of Egypt and there's one last plague that that Egypt is going to go through, that's the death of the firstborn. God tells the, 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 the children of Israel to take to slaughter a lamb and to take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel. And God's going to send out uh, his angel, the destroyer, to destroy all the firstborn in the land. But if he sees the, the blood on the, on the doorpost and on the lintel, he'll pass over that house. And so that's the establishment of the Passover. And what it means is it means deliverance. It means that by taking this action... God is not going to destroy you. And so we bring that into the New Testament, and Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7 says that Jesus is our Passover. So there's a connection there from the Old Testament, from the, from the old law, and the law of Christ, where, where Paul says that Jesus is our Passover. Jesus is now that deliverer. He's the deliverance. Not the blood on the doorposts, not the ceremony of remembering that as the Passover feast will be kept for generation to generation among the Jews. But now Jesus is our Passover. He is the one that provides that deliverance. So that's important in understanding about the body of Jesus. There's also something important to understand. And that is uh, that not only is he the Passover, but he's also uh, a sin offering. Go back to Leviticus chapter 16. <coughs> Leviticus chapter 16. And I'm sorry, I'm placing myself some markers here. We're going to be back and forth between Leviticus and um, here, our, our text here in, in 1 Corinthians 11. So if you'd like to set some markers there. In, 1 Corinthians, uh, beg your pardon, in Leviticus chapter 16, beginning in verse 11, It says, Then Aaron shall offer the bull of sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his household. He shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. If you drop down to verse 15, it says that, Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. So for this particular offering here, there's two things that are, actually three animals uh, that are being offered. There's the bull, and that's for the sins of Aaron. Um, and then there's the, the goat. That's for the sins of the people. And there's also going to be a scapegoat. In other they're going to place their hands on, on one goat and turn him loose into the wilderness. That's the scapegoat. But for these two animals, this is the sin offering. This is what God tells uh, the Levitical priesthood. There, This is how they're going to offer a sacrifice for sins. This is it. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, Since we just have a couple of verses here, I'll read these for you. It says, Romans 8 and verse 3, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, it says there, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So see, it's the, the sin, of, not only is he the Passover and the idea of that deliverance, but Jesus is also, he's the sin offering. He is the offering that's made for our sin. In the, under the old law, it was the, it was the bull, it was the goat that was offered for sin. Under the law of Christ, it's Jesus himself. See how important Jesus' body is. His body is given as that sin offering. Paul also talks about the cup. And the cup, of course, is the blood, as Jesus says there. Let's go back. um, Actually, let's stay right here in Leviticus, if you're still there in Leviticus 16, and look at this idea of atonement. So Back to Leviticus 16. We mentioned there in, in verse 11, it says there that, that, that Aaron is to take the bull and to slay it. That's for the sins of himself. Come down to verse 14 of Leviticus 16. It says, Moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat. On the east side, also in the front of the mercy seat, How he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Now, the mercy seat is that, the, the lid on top of the lid that was on the Ark of the Covenant, which is, in the, which is in the tabernacle, which is in the most holy place, which the high priest himself was only allowed to enter into to make this sacrifice, to make this atonement. Verse 15, coming down. Then he, he shall slaughter the goat, the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat, in front of the mercy seat, and he shall make atonement for the holy place, because of the impurities of the sons of Israel, Now come down to verse eighteen of Leviticus sixteen. It Says, then he shall go out of the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull of the uh, of the bull and the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar on all sides. So there's not only the the body of the of this animal that's being offered as the sin offering. But there's also the blood that's being used here. The blood is being used for atonement. The high priest is to take that blood and to sprinkle it on the mercy seat. He's also to put it on the altar of incense. And that's to make atonement for the iniquities, for the sins of the the children of Israel. Go with me now, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. These connections are very important to make in understanding and fully appreciating the sacrifice that our Lord made. In Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19, listen and think about what we just read there about the, the duties of the high priest as he makes these offerings. Hebrews 10 verse 19 says, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil consciousness, with our bodies washed with pure water. See, that's how we make that connection in the New Testament. It's not the blood of bulls and goats that's going into that holy place, it's the blood of Jesus himself. That's why it's so important to appreciate the body and the blood of our Lord. Back to Leviticus 16, the idea here going right along with the um, atonement is the idea of purification. We read there verse 18, remember this is the blood that's being used to, to purify these certain things. In verse 19 of Leviticus 16, it says, And with his finger he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it from the impurities of the sons of Israel consecrated. So here's the idea of a purification. This is the things that are taking place with this blood. This is why it's so important. Now go back to Hebrews chapter 9. I know we're jumping around a lot, but I want you to see this for yourselves and understand the importance of the body and the blood of our Lord. In Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. It says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the new flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works and is serving a living God. You see, there's that idea. If the blood and bulls of goats was sufficient under the law of of Moses to satisfy what God had commanded. Think about what the blood of, the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, think about what it accomplishes. It accomplishes our salvation. This uh, atonement, the purification, all that is, is in the blood of our Lord. And think about how important that is. I want to with this understand something else about this the blood and the body of our Lord understand that there is a, a reconciliation that takes place in all this back in Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 27 this is after um, these sacrifices were made remember the Leviticus are the instructions to the priest and in, t- in verse 27 it says, But the bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement for the holy place, shall be taken outside the camp, and there they shall burn their hides, their flesh, and their refuse in the fire. So this is after the sacrifices have been made for those animals. The remains of those animals are to be taken outside the camp. That is out from uh, not only the the courtyard of the tabernacle, but outside all those camps that were, remember the children of Israel were camped around the tabernacle, take it outside of that and to burn the remains. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 3. This idea of um, bringing together of reconciliation, beg your pardon, that should be uh, chapter 2 in, in Ephesians, beginning in verse 11. It says, Therefore, remember the form, formerly you, the Gentiles, in the flesh who were called uncircumcised by the so called circumcision, um, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. Remember one of the things, that, the most important things that Jesus did, not only was his, his sacrifice for the Jews, but it was also for the Gentiles. And so there was the bringing together, the reconciliation so that all men everywhere have the ability to be saved. Not just the Jews, but all men everywhere. Verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who made, both into, uh, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier as a dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. That's the reconciliation that is accomplished through the through the body and the blood of our Lord. Finally, in this point, go to Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, verse 11 and 12, says this. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Now, that sounds familiar, right? That's exactly what Aaron is instructed to do back over there in Leviticus. Look at verse 12. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. You ever stop to think about what that means? Here's the reconciliation. What does it mean? Why is it, is it that Jesus suffered there in Golgotha, which is outside the gate of Jerusalem? He did it to, to unite the Jews and the Gentiles. Remember, he's the sin offering. If we take that, that analogy and carry it through, his body was to be destroyed outside the camp. That's what the, the, the Levites did. That's what the high priests did. They took the remains of those sin offerings and they destroyed them outside the camp. The Hebrew writer is equating that here. He's saying Jesus suffered outside the gate. And through that, and what we read there in Ephesians chapter 2, there's the reconciliation of bringing the, the, the Jew first, and also the Gentile, into the law of Christ. And that is accomplished through the body and the blood of our Lord. Go back to our text there in, in 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, Paul here is, is establishing or, or, or emphasizing, re- reminding them that as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, as often implies that there is a frequency by which we should be, them and us, consequently, should be taking the Lord's Supper. There's a frequency. And what is that frequency? Well, go back in verse 17. Of 1 Corinthians 11, beginning there, and understand a little bit more about the context in which Paul is writing here. He says, But in the giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, so understand he's speaking to them coming together as the church, which is what we're doing right now. We have come together as the church. So this is the, the, the audience, if you will, that he is speaking to, the church, the assembled church. I hear that divisions exist among you, and for, in part I believe it. For there must be also factions among you in order that you may be approved by what has become evident for you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. But in your eating, one is taking his first. Um, one is hungry, another is drunk. So when they're coming together, he says it's not to take the Lord's Supper, which it should be. When you come together, you should be taking the Lord's Supper. Instead, you're treating it like a common meal. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later. But here's the idea. There's a frequency. They're coming together as the church, and the church is to come together to take the Lord's Supper. The only time specified for the church to come together for worship is the first day of the week. Now the church can come together to do other things. We see it in, in the book of Acts when the, the church comes together to, either to set Paul off on a journey or to pray about um, appointing elders in the certain congregations. But to come together to worship, we're told to come together on the first day of the week. Over in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, we read that Paul, he's given instructions further, this time on giving, but he says there, on the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside as he may prosper collections which I have been come. So he's talking about the coming together of the church on every first day of the week. So what else do we do when we come together as a church? We take the Lord's Supper. We're coming together on the first day of the week. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 when Paul is, is wrapping up his third missionary journey and he's making his way to to Caesarea and will eventually go to Jerusalem. He stops there in Troas and he's there for seven days and he waits there so that he can be with the brethren on the first day of the week to break bread. In that context there, in talking about breaking bread, that's taking the Lord's Supper. So we put all that together, we can understand the frequency by which we are to take the Lord's Supper. We're to take it when we come together as a church. When do we come together as a church? On the first day of the week. In the Gospels, there are six references to the first day of the week. And each one of those references, the first day of the week that they're speaking of, is the day that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. That helps us understand why it is the first day of the week. He was crucified on a Friday. He was raised from the dead on a Sunday. That's the first day of the week. That's why that day is so important. That's why we come together on this day and we take the Lord's Supper to what? To remember the death of our Lord. It's not coincidence that we're here on the first day of the week. Continuing on, Paul talks about taking the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. Let's read verses uh, 27 through 32. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, so that let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself. For if he does not judge the body rightly, for this reason many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world in a worthy manner. Let's understand this. This the question here is not if we are worthy because we're not. We're not worthy of the sacrifice of the son of God. Romans 5 and verse 8 tells us that. that God loves us, um, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's not a question of am I worthy along those lines, because we're not. It's through God's grace, through his mercy, that we have the ability to come on the first day of the week. And to worship him and to to be saved from our sins. That's because of God's grace and his mercy. But the idea of what he's talking about here is taking... uh, taking this, these, the, the, the bread and the blood in a worthy manner. It's not if we are worthy, but taking it in a manner worthy of Jesus' sacrifice. We've already established the precious nature of the body and the blood of our Lord, so it needs to be taken in that way and understood what it is that we're doing. I mentioned at the outset, the Lord's Supper is at the same time very simple, but very deep. When we take the Lord's Supper, we need to be reflecting on his death. Remember what it says there in verse 26. As often as you take this, you proclaim my death or proclaim his death until he comes. This is a time of reflecting on his death. And if we can we let our minds drift there, it doesn't take long to, to get to that point where we see a man beaten within an inch of his life and then hung on a cross to die in public shame. That's the death that we're reflecting on. And it ought to be a somber and sobering thought as we reflect on his death. In so doing, we need to make sure that we are being properly reverent of that. We need to make sure that we are showing the proper reverence as we partake of these, uh, the, the bread and the fruit of the vine. And men, as we're leading this, we need to make sure that we are doing it the proper way, with the proper reverence. Song leaders will often, as, as Devin did this morning, lead a song right before the Lord's Supper to help us focus our minds on taking of the Lord's Supper. We have men who stand here and, and, and speak for a minute or two about these things that we are doing. Men, we need to make sure that we are giving it its proper reverence. Make sure that we are pointing to the sacrifice of our Lord, to his death, and making sure that is what the focus of what we are doing is. Giving it the proper reference. Because the consequences of not doing that are severe. In verse 27, it says, Therefore, who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the, of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of both the body and the blood of the Lord in verse 29 it says for he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly throughout this there's this word judge judge and judgment you know judge means to form an opinion or, or conclusion to, or to make a distinction or to separate we do it all the time we judge things all the time we make distinctions we form an opinion about something um, we separate things we divide things that's judging That's what's being talked about here. So we have to make sure that we are making the proper distinction regarding the Lord's body. Make sure that we are setting it apart and and understanding that this is not just uh, something that we're done by rote, tick the box. But it needs to be done with reverence, judging it rightly, making sure that when I take the bread, I'm remembering the precious body of my Lord. And when I drink the, from, the, from the cup, Jesus said, This is my blood. How important is that? We talked about it. It's very important. Understand this as we uh, wrap up this section. The sacrifice that we're talking about, the sacrifice that is in the bread and the, the fruit of the vine, is a worthy sacrifice. And it's a sacrifice that's not to be trivialized. Look over in Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> we read there verses 11 and 12 that talks about uh, Jesus suffering outside the camp. We want to conclude that thought here now, with the Hebrew writer. Verses 13 and 14. Back up to verse 12. Therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people through his own blood suffered outside the camp. So there... That's what he's laying down. Look what it says in verse 13. Hence, let us go, out, go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. You see, in order for us to be reconciled, in order for us to, to, to come in contact, if you will, this, the sacrifice that Jesus has done, we have to go outside the camp. We have to go out to him. And we have to bear the reproach. It's a sacrifice that's worthy of that. The precious blood of our Lord. It's a sacrifice that's worthy of that. In verse 14 it says, For we do not have a lasting city, but a city which is to come. We don't have a city on this, on this earth that's, that's heaven on earth. We have a city in heaven that's waiting for us if we are found faithful in the end. That's the city that we're looking for. That's a city that's worth bearing the reproach for. That's a city that's worth the sacrifice. Back over to chapter 10 of Hebrews. Think about this in in connection to this worthy sacrifice. Hebrews 10, verse 29, beginning. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Do we hold the fruit of the vine that precious? To understand that it is the blood of Jesus Christ? The Hebrew writer says, Those who disregard this is like trampling underfoot the Son of God and regarding... His blood is unclean. The blood that we talked about how important it was, the purification, the atonement, God thinks it's pretty important. We need to think so also. We need to make sure we are judging properly so that when we take those, the bread and the fruit of the vine, that we understand that this is set apart, that this is something special, And then we need to take it and treat it as such. Lastly, let's talk about communion versus hunger. Back in our text there in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes, So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that you may come together, so that you may not come together, excuse me, for judgment. And the remaining matters I will arrange when I come. Note verse 22 also. We read this a minute ago. Um, Paul says, what, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? This is, this is in response to, to them coming together and one's eating before another and they're, they're, they're treating us as a common meal. One of them, some of them are drunk. Paul says, don't you have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What will I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I will not praise you. You see, they had, um, this is including in our judging, and uh, the distinction between the ordinary meal and the Lord's Supper, because the Corinthians had perverted it. They they were treating it like an ordinary meal. They were coming together, and from from what Paul writes, it sounds like they were having a great time. Feasting and and drinking too much wine and getting drunk. They had perverted the meaning of coming together to take the Lord's Supper. And so that's why Paul is writing to them. So he's going to separate it out. He's going to make the distinction for them. He's going to make sure that they understand that you don't come together to fill your belly. You can do that at home. You come together to take the Lord's Supper. And all that we've talked about is, is that, the bread and the fruit of the vine. That's what you come together for. That's what you come together and, and reverently partake in. Not in showing up and starting eating and getting drunk. That's, you're missing it. And he says he says this so that they aren't condemned along with the rest of the world. You see, they aren't, they aren't making the right judgments. They aren't taking it in a worthy manner. And so they're just like those in the world who, who would see these things and scoff. What does it mean, the bread and the fruit of the vine? How can that be the body and the blood of our Lord, of your Lord? Huh. Jesus says it is. And note also... Back in verse 25. Sometimes this might escape our, our, our reading. This cup of the new covenant, or beg your pardon, in verse 25, in the same way he took the cup also after supper. You see, when Jesus instituted this, they, were come, they had come together and were eating a meal. But it was after the meal that the Lord took the unleavened bread, which they would have had at that meal, and he took the cup which they would have had at that meal, the fruit of the vine. And he set those things apart. They had their meal already. So he took the bread and said, this is my body. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. And so Paul is reminding the Corinthian brethren that the Lord himself instituted the Lord's Supper. This is what these emblems are. Take them in a worthy manner. Don't treat it as a common meal. Separate it. Judge rightly. Take it in a worthy manner. When it comes to our best observance of the Lord's Supper, let's remember these things. Let's remember that what we are taking of is the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. That sets the stage, doesn't it? It sets the stage for what we're doing. These things are precious. The body and the blood of our Lord. Let's remember that we need to partake of it once a week. As was being shown here to these Corinthians. When you come together to take the Lord's Supper. That's when we need to take it. We need to come together on the first day of every week. And take of the bread and the fruit of the cup. Fruit of the vine. To remember that great sacrifice. And in so doing, we need to take it in a worthy manner. We need to do it reverently. And we need to distinguish it from other observances. We need to distinguish it, set it apart, judge it rightly, so that we can do it in a worthy manner, so that we're not treating it as something, uh, as a common meal, so that we're not just checking the box and moving on, it needs to be given its due, set apart, and taken in a worthy manner. And we need to do this and make sure that we're not equating it with a common meal. That we're not here to, and we don't here, we don't come here to fill our bellies. We don't have a church, uh, kitchen back here. We come here to take the Lord's Supper. We have members who prepare this bring it in, we have the fruit of the vine the bread, the unleavened bread that's what we come here to to do we don't come here to fill our bellies remember the Lord, Paul said here, Jesus took the cup after supper eat breakfast before you come if if you get hungry if you can wait a little while you can eat lunch when we leave we come here to take the Lord's supper it needs to be done reverently and in order. I hope this has been edifying to you. I know we looked at a lot of scripture. If you know me well enough to know, that's what I do. I think it's important for you to see it for yourselves, and to understand that these things, simple, we don't have to to, to lead the bull into the courtyard, and to, to put our hand on it, and slay it. We don't have to do all that. We just come and Other men here in the congregation pass these things around, and we don't have to deal with the blood and and the bodies of animals. We deal with these simple simple emblems, bread, fruit of the vine. But how deep that is from such simple things, how deep it is and how instrumental it is to our faith to remember that a man died for our sins. And we come together every first day of the week to remember that. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to study, to learn more about the Lord that we serve, to learn more about what it meant for him to say. We've just scratched the surface today, believe it or not. I would encourage you to, to study. If there's anything that we can help you with as a congregation, we can do that we can help you. If if as a child of God you're not taking this in a reverent manner, if you're just checking the box, rethink what you're doing in taking the Lord's Supper. Rethink what you're doing in all your service to God. Make the necessary corrections. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.